Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Uh, so I'm excited to get into it today. I want to start with a question. When you, when you first meet somebody, when you first are making introductions, what's one of the first questions you ask? Where are you from? Where are you from? What else? What do you do? What what? What is reality? What's reality? That's Matt's first question. <laughs> Which if you know Matt, you know that is fitting. Um, what's your name? Right? That is a basic question. Sometimes we feel so awkward that we don't we don't ask it. Or some we'll say it in passing and like 30 seconds into it. You guys ever do this? I do it all the time with you. 30 seconds after meeting somebody, you're like, oh no, I forgot their name. And I'm going to do this awkward, I'm sorry, would you tell me it again? And again, and again. And I'm just coming to a place in life where we're saying, maybe it's my own deficiency, or maybe, maybe you need to know that I won't quit until I get it. Right? We ask each other's name. Micah, uh, our youngest child, is in 4K this year. He's jumping into like all day uh, or every, every day, half day school. And I'm talking with him about what's going on and are you meeting friends? And he says yes. And I was like, well, what are their names? I, I don't know. <laughs> okay, but that's your, that's your assignment. I want you to come back with two friends' names. And he's able to do that now and say, I know her and I know her and I don't know their names. But he does, <laughs> right? We want to know somebody's name. If, uh, if you seem dumb and dumber... You have an example of this, right? Where he's like, oh, I got to look her up in the phone book because those existed still back then. And they're like, I don't know. Uh, Swami, Swemi, Swanson, Swen. And then he looks at the briefcase and he's like, oh, Samsonite. I was way off. We, we have relationship with people and sometimes we don't even know their name. And it can be true with us, with God, too. We're like, I believe in God, but I don't know God. There's a big difference there. I believe in a big, powerful force out there somewhere. But if you ask me God's name, I'll be like, God? Maybe? He has a name? And that's incredible in this series that we're calling I Am. And we're going to actually talk about that name today. That God doesn't stay hidden. If you look in the pages of the Bible, people's names meant something. People's names were often a reflection of their character. And when God shows up and starts to say, I have this name, and I have this name, and I have this name, it doesn't mean he's schizophrenic and has multiple personalities, right? Like Beth was talking about to say, you get to pick and choose which, which side of God you want. He's like, I'm so big, I can't be encapsulated in one name. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you pieces of me that allow you to see the whole me, right? And bit by bit by bit, I'm giving all of myself to you, okay? And I want you, I want you to see me. And as we study God's names coming out of the Old Testament and then discipline ourselves to say, well, there's, there's this thing called a trinity going on. So it's not just God's name in the Old Testament. God's name is revealed in the Old Testament and then, and then, Revealed and affirmed again in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so this series 
is an attempt for us to say, God, we want to know you more deeply. We want to know you more richly. God, we want to know your name. And that increases our relationship. So our primary goal in this series, we've said, we're going to hold to, is we don't first want to apply this to ourselves, to say, who am I, God? We want to say, God, who are you? And as we see you, God, we get more intelligent in our worship. We get more inspired in our worship. Our worship becomes richer. We see God more fully, and we respond in worship. We're going to discipline ourselves to look through the lens of the Trinity, and then kind of as a third point, once we've walked through those things, we get to say, when we know God more fully, we also get a clearer picture of who we are, right? We also get to see our identity that comes out of who God is. So that's the benefit, that's the gift, that's the blessing of working through God's names. We get a deeper relationship with him, and we get uh, a better understanding of who we are. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Exodus 3. We're going we're gonna to talk about the primary name of God. When God is asked, what is your name? This is God's response. And it comes to us in Exodus 3, um, and Moses and the burning bush. A lot of you guys know this story. Moses, Moses, uh, wow, my notes. Moses is born. Moses is put in the basket, right? <laughs> what a mess. I'm Okay. Because Pharaoh is going to kill all the boys. Thank you. Pharaoh is going to kill all the boys. And he's put in a basket to preserve his life. And he flows down the river. And he's picked up by Pharaoh's daughter. And he grows up in the courts of the king of Egypt. Right? He is a son of the king of Egypt. And then he comes to find out later in life that he's not just a son of the king of Egypt. He's a son of the king of all heaven and earth. Like he's a Hebrew. That's his nationality that God... God has them chosen, and he starts to understand his identity kind of switches. And as he does it, he rises up in anger against the Egyptians who are uh, beating down his newly recognized brothers and sisters, and he kills an Egyptian as, a, as an attempt to uh, protect, and it doesn't go well, and he, he, uh, he runs away. So this is Moses' life. I don't know if you know this or are aware of this. For the first 40 years of Moses' life, he grows up in Egypt, and he has that identity. For the next 40 years of his life, after he's killed the Egyptian, he runs out into the desert. And he's 80 years old when this conversation happens. I, I don't do that. Like Charlton Heston's movie doesn't show him like that. Uh, the Prince of Egypt sure doesn't show him 80 years old. Something's going on. And he spends the next 40 years of his life going back to Egypt and leading God's people out into freedom and uh, through the wilderness toward the promised land. Right? But something happens at the 80-year mark for Moses after he's grown up and been exiled, and now he's wrestling with his identity. And he's got all kinds of questions and, I think, condemnation and shame. And he's like, nah, this is good. If I can just hide out in the desert and have a little family... Uh, you know, I, I'm content here. And God says, I have more. There's, I want to meet with you, and I want to change your life again. So in Exodus 3, starting in verse 1, we're going to read the first 15 verses here, and then we're going to talk about uh, the name of God revealed. Exodus 3, starting in verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. 
And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, now that's incredible. When the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see, then, then he says, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to a place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will surely be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. And when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Let's pray, and then we'll dive in. God, we want to know you. And we don't just want to know uh, the little tip of you. We, We want to know you more deeply, more richly, to continue to get to know you, to continue to to bask in your presence, recognizing that you're here and recognizing that you don't hide, you don't play hide and seek with us. You want us to know you. You are a God who reveals yourself. I pray that you open our eyes this morning to, uh, to, to you that we have maybe never seen before. At least, at least a richness that we've never seen before. Open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Moses says, what if the people ask, what is his name? And God's answer, this is the time that he says, here's my personal name. He says, I am who I am. And we're like, oh, that doesn't help me. That's not like a name. But, and then he says, I am. I am. Say, I am has sent 
me to you. And then he goes on and he says, let them know I'm the God of your father Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So there's two different there's two different pieces that are going on here, right? There's the I am, and then there's the God of your ancestors. Now this, this word I am, depending on how you count, uh, is used well over 6,000 times in the Old Testament. I read this week that uh, this is the most frequented word in the Old Testament, which is pretty awesome, right? If you, want to, if you get the question, what is the Bible about? God is the first answer. The Bible is not about me primarily, right? It applies to me. It changes me, but it's not about me. The Bible is about God, and we get a front row seat into who he says he is. So he says, I am. This word, this word, I am, shows up in every book of the Old Testament except three. Esther, where no name of God is ever brought up, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs. Okay? With those exceptions, uh, this word I am in Hebrew shows up in every one of the Old Testament books. And I want to show you something because this word has been translated in a couple of different ways. If you come from a Jewish perspective or a Hebrew perspective, this word I am is Yahweh. If you come from a German theologian perspective, which is a lot uh, of where we come from, uh, there was a, a boom in kind of study of God, hearty, rich study of God. And it came uh, through a lot of German um, theologians. And that word gets uh, to be called Jehovah. So if you have heard Yahweh or you have heard Jehovah, that is the same name of God. And I just want to show it to you. because I don't, I don't know if you're visual. This helped me. In the Old Testament, I am is Y-H-W-H. That's Yahweh, okay? Except there's no vowels, and so people have to say, I'm going to take my best crack at it. And so they'll do Y-A-W-E-H. And that's where we get Yahweh, right? German is a little bit different. Y's in German are what letter? J, right? Jaw, okay? So this same thing. And W's are what? V. Okay? So you start to see how this one name gets translated a couple different names. And then they go, no vowels, we'll go... uh, Okay? Now, depending on who you read, some people think they took the name Adonai and took the vowels and just said, "We'll, we'll fill that in. So we get either way, in the Hebrew, Yahweh... Or in the German and then now kind of English more, uh, uh, more readily available. Or if you ask Indiana Jones what the name of God is, he answers uh, Jehovah, right? And he spells it weird. So these are, this is the same name. For me, that was like, oh, now I get it. Now I see how two, two names that seem like they don't relate to each other actually come from the same name and they actually relate. When God says... This is my name. I am. What he's revealing about his character, what he's revealing about who he is, is that he is self-existent. That means God doesn't have a creator. We've talked about God who is the creator and then the holy God the last couple weeks. God who created everything. God 
doesn't have a creator. I am exists all by himself, right? He has always existed, always will exist. And what you get with I am is a God who is not bound by time. Now, my mind starts to go all kinds of different directions. But the God who has no creator, who creates everything, also creates the timeline. So we exist in this kind of time, right? This is who we are. And so there's, there's was and is and will be in our time. That's how time goes. You know how God is? Am, 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 or is. Right? Yesterday, I am. We're like, no, that, that's not, that, you can't do that. God exists beyond time. God is not bound by time. And so God is present everywhere and every time. There is not a time where God is not present. He always is. And that's incredible to me. Beth talks about the unchangeable nature of God. We, we change, right, through time. There is a time when I had a lot of hair. That time was, right? God hasn't lost any hair. I don't know that God has beautiful, lovely hair, but if he does, he hasn't lost any, right? God always is. He doesn't change. And so he reveals himself to us as self-existent, as ever-present, unchanging in character. But also, but also what this is implies, what this speaks to us, this is a God who is relational because it's as he talks about this to Moses, I am there's an I am with you because this is happening in a conversation. This is happening in a relationship. So we get the high creator God, mighty and powerful beyond imagination. And then we get to the holy God who is altogether not like us. And we love that he's not like us because if he was like that, he'd be, he'd be defiled. He'd be broken like we end up. This is a God who is limitless and is unbroken and perfect and is with us and is present with us. I am is ever present. Unchanging character, relationship. You, create, you compare this, this um, character of God to Elohim the creator and uh, the holy God. Now with Yahweh and Jehovah. You get a beautiful picture of the depth of God. If we say, if we say that we're going to discipline ourselves and look at how does God reveal uh, I am through the lens of the Trinity, one of the beautiful pictures that you get right away is that God is not just uh, self-existent and lonely, right? He doesn't. He doesn't create relationships like when he creates us. That's the first time God has ever had a relationship. And like, oh, this is nice. Like God, God is self-existent, but God has always been relational. The Father and the Son and the Spirit have always been and have always been in relationship and present with one another. 
I am is relational in character. That doesn't change. That's always been there. We don't create the relational component, uh, component to God. God is always there. Now, I think it's really cool when we start to say, okay, how, how do we see I am in the Son? How do we see I am in Jesus? If we say I am, a huge component of I am is that uh, I am with you. How do you see that in Jesus? The incarnation. God, Jesus' very name when it said Emmanuel, right? Emmanuel means what? God with us. It's not that far of a stretch from the God who is with us to the incarnation where God is with us physically, right here, walking with us, among us, right? Jesus is I am. Now, there are a number of different times in the New Testament where people are trying to get to know Jesus or they're trying to test Jesus. They're having conversations with Jesus. And he spits out this, what we often read, kind of glance right over. He spits out these I am statements. And not just like, I am the good shepherd, which is incredible, and there's this built into it, but just I am. And he's content with that. So he's having this conversation with uh, the Pharisees in John 8. And they're testing him about Old Testament knowledge and authority and all this stuff. And he said, look, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. They're like, hold on. Abraham was way back here. How, how are you talking about, like, he, he's excited about this. He was here. And Jesus says, look, before Abraham was, I am. Now, we glance over that in English and like, that's nice or whatever. Like, he is directly uh, embodying. He is claiming this name for himself. He is saying, before Abraham was, I'm Yahweh. I am Jehovah. Before Abraham was, I am the self-existent, ever-present God. And you want to know why they pick up stones uh, to stone him and kill him? was because blasphemy, like calling yourself God, was punishable by death. We read over that, and they're like, that's not a big deal. That's kind of a weird thing he said. They picked up stones because for them, it couldn't be clearer. Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus owns it. In the garden of Gethsemane, the last night of Jesus' life, when he's praying and Judas walks up with a whole army of soldiers to arrest him, in, um, in John, the conversation goes, they walked up and Jesus says, who are you looking for? And they said, we're looking for Jesus. And he says, I am he. And they fall over. Like they, they back up and they fall over. These are big, tough guys. These are strong soldiers with grit. And yet Jesus' three words, Jesus says, I am and they fall over. And Jesus is saying, this is me. I am he. Right? I am Yahweh. I am Yahweh. If you look in Matthew 28, at the end of Matthew's gospel in the Great Commission, Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. 
and know this. I will be with you. I will be with you. The God who always exists, the God who is ever-present with us. Jesus says, I will be with you. And I find that powerful. I find that powerful. And it doesn't stop with Jesus. It's the whole Trinity who is Yahweh, Jehovah, God with us. And Jesus says, Jesus says, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask the Father to send the Spirit, the Advocate, and they're working together in relationship. He says in John 14, verses 16 and 17, I will ask the Father and He will give you another Advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He lives with you. And He will be in you. Like, what? Yahweh, ever-present God, in me. In me. This doesn't come from wishful thinking. This doesn't come from, I create myself and I'm perfect just the way I am. This comes because Yahweh is in me. Is that powerful? When Jesus said the Spirit will come and He will be with you and He will be in you, He is giving a gift like we have never known or He is announcing a gift like we could never, ever, ever imagine. And we get to live in that power or maybe more, that power lives within us. God, the eternal, the ever-present God lives within us if... If we receive Jesus, if we believe and if we receive, it says if we confess with our mouths, if we believe in our hearts, Jesus is Lord. He comes in and he makes his home in us. Do you want application to a big and mighty God who is with us? You say we worship We worship and we don't stop worshiping. The God who is mighty, the God who created everything, the God who is holy and is altogether not like us and is perfect and blameless. While we walk around in all of our mess, we worship God and we worship also God who has always existed, who has always been relational, is ever present and in Jesus, because of Jesus, lives in me. It calls worship out of us. Right? We worship. What, what are you doing with that invitation? What are you doing with the invitation where John 1 sets out for all those who believed in Jesus? He gave the right to become children of God. What are you doing with that invitation? Because you can dismiss it. You can put it aside. You can say, that sounds great, but nah, not for me. Or maybe later when I grow up, maybe someday when I've uh, lived life or whatever, I've done all these things, then I'll come and I'll do the God thing. The invitation is, God says, I want all of you because I gave all of me. I want to exchange places 
I want to take your brokenness and I want to give you life. I want to give you healing. And I want to come and reside in you. What are you doing with that invitation? I will beg you to hear it and to respond to it, to accept it and receive it, and then give yourself to it. Our identity, when we say, God, we see you in bigger ways, we also get a picture of who we are. And the first thing that we have to say, just like Beth said this morning, is we are not like God. So theologians have used these terms to say there are communicable and incommunicable character aspects of God. Those are big fancy words to say there are ways of God that we, we, we are made in his image and so we, sh- we are like him and we should aspire to be like that. And then there are, there are ways of God that we, we are just not like because he's holy. We aren't holy in and of ourselves, right? And we are not ever present. No matter how much I would tell you to apply it to yourself, be ever present in the past. You're like, I can't do that, right? I I can't do that. I am finite. I am limited. I am not infinite and unlimited. When we say, who are we in light of who God is, we have to first say, we are not like God. Looking at I am, who is independent, we have to immediately say, We are created as dependent. We don't exist by ourselves. We don't will ourselves into being. We don't just hop out of a pond and decide to expand and grow, right? We exist because of God. We grow because of God. We are dependent upon God. And to recognize my dependence isn't shame. To recognize my dependence is a gift. I can't ever be anything but that. I better deal in reality. I'm dependent and I want to figure out what that means. It also means while God is unchanging, I need to come to grips with the fact that I am changing. God doesn't get wrinkles. God doesn't lose hair. God doesn't have sagging skin. God doesn't have memories that start to fade. And we do, right? Our bodies now fall apart my dad yesterday i saw my dad at a party the first time uh he walked up to me he was like my dad y'all right like yeah i've been standing for two hours and my ankles don't like it okay dad your body's breaking and i notice it in myself if i play a game of soccer the next day my ankles hate me that's just they didn't used to they didn't used to they do now We have bodies that are breaking down. We are changing, right? We change. Our character changes over time. And I love that it does, that we get to grow. We don't just need to stay uh, in our three-year-old minds and hearts. Our character expands, right? I'm glad that we change. I'm also glad glad that God doesn't. God always is. His character doesn't expand. His character doesn't change. Mine does. And, and for good or for ill, we need to come to terms with that. One day we will have a body that is not corruptible, right? One day we will have a body that doesn't break down. In the, when the resurrection comes of all things, we will experience a body that is glorious and doesn't break and isn't 
isn't beaten down by sickness or uh, weak joints or any of that. But right now, that's not the case. Our bodies break down naturally. Who am I because of who God is? There are things that I'm not, right? I'm changing, I'm limited, I'm dependent. But because, because of I am, we can say, because God is with us, I am not alone. That's just true. Because God is always present, I am never alone. I want you to know that. It doesn't always feel like that. We feel alone sometimes. But it's not true. And that doesn't, like, I'm not saying that to say you're wrong, get it right. I'm saying when you feel alone, you can rest in the truth that you are not. God is present even in that. Because, because God is the only independent one, we are dependent upon him. Now, we don't like to admit this as Americans. We are the rugged individual. We like to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We like to grow, and we don't like to need or lean on anyone. But it's a gift to recognize our need to lean. You call it cheesy or whatever, but one of the most formative experiences in my life was in youth group when our youth leader would play lean on me. And we'd do, you know, like the cliche youth group thing, put hands on shoulders and sway together, like lean on me. You guys, nobody had that experience? Anybody? No? It was beautiful and cheesy, but it let me know I'm not alone and I'm dependent, that I don't have a problem leaning on you. That's how we're made. That's how we're wired. And I want that for you, not the cheese factor, but the recognition that it's good to need others. It's good to need others because you do. If you just pretend you don't, you're lying. And if you look down on other people because they're needy, you're kidding yourself. You're puffed up. If you're like, ah, I'm glad all these people can like lay their head on my shoulder and I can be them, be everything for everybody, and like, but I don't I don't need. You're just arrogant or deceived. And you need to you, you need to come to understand that and receive the gift of need. But God wired us to need each other. Because God is relational. He wired us for relationship, right? The God who is with us, the God who is ever-present in the Trinity. Because God is relational, uh, relational we're hardwired for relationships. We don't just have needs, we're wired for relationship, right? It's not like we just go up and ask uh, anybody for a handout. We're made to need each other within relationship. And that's beautiful. That's passive, Right? Those are the things that's, that's about us, that's true of us. Um, but then there's an active side to it. God, who did you make me to be? Who am I and who have you called me to be? How do I walk this out? If God has called us to be in relationship, if he's hardwired us for relationship, then we're called into community. To walk with God is to walk with people. You can't get away from that. 
You cannot say, I love God, but I hate the church. I love God, but I'm just going to do God on my own. There's something, there's something. You could, you could go online in the information age that we live in today. You could go online and listen to the best worship. Watch the best worship videos and listen to the best preachers who are worlds beyond me. Worlds beyond anything that Damascus Road has to offer you. You could go get that because of the day and age that we live in. But you would miss something because you're sitting in your car or you're sitting on your couch. You're plugged into your earbuds and it's just you and a kind of a pseudo community. You miss the community aspect if you don't come on Sunday morning. If you're not meeting with other people. If you don't have your people. You are missing something. Even if the teaching is out of this world beyond. Even if you walk out on a Sunday morning and you're like, I'm frustrated with the level of preaching. Good, I am too. Okay? And we're going to grow. But, but don't just write the whole thing off to say, I'm going to go get what I need. Because you'll miss what you need. You need community. We're wired for it. Now, this, this has been a really simple, helpful shape. For me, that is a triangle, right? Good. I was super good in geometry. Now, this gets a little tricky. Up. That would make sense, right? The up point of the triangle. And then there's maybe an out and an in. This is the kind of community we're wired for. Okay? If we, and if we don't do any one of these aspects of the triangle, we're missing something. That we are, we are created for a relationship with God. That's the up. We are created to relate with God, to know God, to be known by God, to, to walk in that relationship with God. But that's not the only relationship we're wired with. We're wired to have in relationships. That's the people who are closest to us. The people who are walking with God with us. Family members who are uh, running toward Jesus together. We get to do it. This is our, our tight-knit in community. There's so much of that good happening at Damascus Road. People talk about my people. You want to know why I stay at DR? It's because of the people. That's in. This is in. So good. But then there's an out component too. People that I don't naturally relate with. People that I don't have naturally deep relationships or easy relationships with. And we need to be going after all three types of relationships in our life. As we're wired for relationships, we need to be going after all of those, right? So a church that is only good on the up misses the human side of things. And I think you miss the point. A church that is only good with the up and the in and misses the out, we, we become just in-focused. And we worship really well, but we don't invite anybody ever. A church that becomes like up and out is a church that explodes probably with growth, but then people aren't growing. And so we need all three dynamics of this relationship, the up and the in and the out. And, out, and we naturally gravitate toward one or two of them and leave one conspicuously kind of like on the shelf on the other side of the triangle. I want you to ask yourself today, where do I gravitate on the triangle? And that's good. But then say, what am I, 
what part of the triangle maybe needs some more attention? What kinds of relationships need more attention? And if you feel like God is directing you to one of these directional uh, relationships, respond to that. If God is saying, you need some in, you need to be known in community, you need to lean in, you need to find yourself dependent upon and having others dependent upon you, like be known, don't be a stranger, then I want you to do that. If God is saying, like you come, but you don't come to me, you don't sit in my presence, you don't, you're not really giving yourself in worship, I want you to hear that as a gift as a call of your father to say, come to me. Come up here. Relate with me. And maybe you hear God saying, like, you're good. We're good. We got this good relationship. And you have a community tight, but you don't have any out. You need to start to dream about what out looks like for you. You need to start to listen to where God is calling you out. God will call you out. He calls us all out. We walk out relationship. We are made in the image of a God who is relational, and we walk out relationships. We're made in the image of God. Um, We know the one whose image we bear. That is a very significant statement. We know the one whose image we bear. is not like Moses, who gets thrown into a basket and grows up in Egypt and for the first 40 years of his life doesn't really know where he came from. Doesn't really know where he came from. We know the one whose image we bear. Now maybe that's you today. Maybe you're Moses today. And you don't know that. You don't know that you were created in God's image. And I want you to hear that you are. I want you to hear that you are created in God's image, no matter who you are, no matter what you've come from, no matter what you're sitting in now, you are made in God's image. Every single one of us in here, every single one of us not in here, made in God's image. And I want you to not just know about Him, I want you to know God. And we need to be walking that out, to be looking for God, to be um, trusting God when he speaks into our life, to be obeying God. Often, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, I was reading a book this week, and I was moved by the author, and I was like, man, I would love it if I could just meet this author. And it it was kind of like this pity moment or whatever, like, oh, I could never meet him. I would love to meet him. And then I felt like God slapped me and said, well, you could if you wanted to. It's a plane ticket. Go say whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, I'll take you for lunch. I'm going to find you're on tour right now. And you're like, I'm going to go where you are. I'm going to go where you are. God said, quit being a baby. If you really want to meet him, it's going to cost you something. But you can. And I, okay, I don't want to meet him that much. I'll just, like, uh, respect him from afar. Okay? That's true for God. We can meet with God. How much do you want it? How much do you want it? 
Because God's not playing hide-and-seek with us, but I think that we do that with him. Like, yeah, I want God. I want to do the God thing, but I don't want to do what it costs. I don't want to pay what it, what it costs to have a relationship with God, to be in his presence. We're so easily distracted by noise. We, are so, we so often have so much going on, and uh, we don't feel need. Like, we're really, we're pretty good. I'm good. What a gift it is to come to a place where you see your own need. I, I hurt for people who are so good that they don't recognize their need. I hurt for them. Do you know people like that? And I want God to break you if you're that person. I want God to crack you open because it's healing. Because it's healing to recognize your need. If that's you this morning or if you know a person who needs to be broken by God, pray that prayer. Not so that they hurt, but so that they could recognize their need and be healed. Maybe for the first time. How much of your day do you carve out to know God? To be in his presence. Now we're always in God's presence, right? God is ever present. We can't run from his presence. He's always there. He's really, really good at tag. We can't get away from him. Darn it. You're it. I'm in again. Okay? But do we pursue him? Do we open ourselves up to him? I want to give you a challenge this week. If you would say, I don't make any space for God. I, like, I, I enjoy being in God's presence on the go. I think that's wonderful. The more you can awaken yourself to say, I want to, I want to live in God's presence all the time, I think that's a beautiful thing. But I want to give you this challenge. And I would just give you a simple, we'll call it a 5-10 challenge. Okay? For the next week, for five days, take 10 minutes a day to just be in God's presence. To open up your Bible, and maybe it's dusty. That's okay. Open up an app that says, I want to just read. You take 10 minutes to read, to reflect on that, and to pray. It might feel like eternity. It might feel like it breezes by. And take 10 minutes for the next five days to say, I'm going to discipline myself to be in God's presence. And if you're looking for a place to read, open up the book of Luke. Go to the table of contents or click on the link that says the gospel of Luke and start reading Luke. And you get to be in the presence of Jesus, in the presence of I am. 510. The holy God who created us knows us. And he wants to be known by us. When we say we worship, I am. That's his name. We're invited into that. I want you to know I am. I want you to receive I am. I want you to chase after I am. Yahweh Jehovah. Let's pray.
God, we thank you for what you're doing in our midst. We thank you for your presence, for the number of people who are able to point to you and say, God, this is what I love about how you never change. I love that. You are present within our church, and we love you. Would you open our eyes up wider and wider and wider so that we see you in your beauty? And when we see you, would you help us to respond in worship? Jesus, when you came here, when you got off the throne, when you came here, you came here to be with us. You came here so that we could receive you, so that we could know you, so that we could worship you. And we do. When we take communion, God, would you help us Would you remind us, help us remember who you are. Help us to celebrate who you are. Help us to be sober in the price that you paid for our exchange. That we would live not puffed up, but seeing our need. But we would also live in great confidence, knowing that I am is with us. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.